this is just a pad that I have on my desk and it rips off and it just has all my proactive behaviors for a day, you know, the bare minimum that makes me successful. And this changed everything for me. This is when I went from about a million to $10 million in assets. And this is when I went from making about a million to, you know, working and grinding to making like a million through. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, here we are. We are here with Shane McGraw, a real estate investor. We're going to talk about cadre concept as well. But before that, we'd love to kick it off with a story, Shane. Um, could you tell us your craziest real estate transaction or experience thus far? Okay, I'm in a good one right now that I like. Um, I found this property that um, I was driving down the road doing my driving for dollars thing, and there's this really, really crappy teardown house. It was kind of on this big chunk of land in the middle of town, which doesn't make any sense. So I took a picture of it and sent him a postcard. Um, I got a call, and the guy said, "Hey, I just had someone trying to buy my property. They backed out. If you give me five hundred sixty thousand dollars and close in forty-five days, I'll sell it to you." I said, "Okay, well, can I see it?" He said, "Sure." So he brought me out and. I'm looking at the house and I'm standing in the property and he goes, Oh, those three houses are on the same property. And I was on the road when he called me. So I just kind of went right there. So I didn't really know much about the property. I didn't have any chance to do due diligence. So there ended up being five houses on this big two and a half acre piece of land um, in the middle of the city zoned like unicorn land. You could build almost anything you wanted on it. And it's got sewer right Whoa. at the bottom of the hill. Um, you know, there's commercial on one side, high density residential on the other side. So for 560, we signed it around and um, I went and got a partner because this is a big land deal. It was basically like three houses on one side, then a really crappy house on the other side. And if you just drew a line, you would have two and a half acres carved off. So I called my buddy and I'm like, can I short plat this? I don't even know like how to do that. And he's like, yeah, I think you could. And so he's like, Shane, I really like this deal. And he knows his way around it. So I said, well, you give me 200 grand. I'll put it in the account. I'll do all the, we'll do a JV agreement. I'll put it all together. Um, and we'll buy it. So he gave me the money. I stuck it in the account. I closed. I took out the debt in my own name on a short term, you know, bridge loan. And um, we rehabbed the three, we, the three units were rented and the one was uninhabitable. We rehabbed those ones and we're just now wrapping them up. And we're, we just rented the first one. We got the other two on the market as of like last week. And then we are short platting it. And we just met with the people that are doing the short plat and we think we'll be done by about December. And when we're done, we're gonna have two and a half acres over here worth 500 grand. Which I, I mean, this is the biggest home run I've ever hit. So don't act like, I'm not trying to act like I do this on the regular, but, and then and these three houses are gonna sell between, well, the market's shifting, so we'll see, but I underwrote them at 300 each, but I think they're worth like 360 oh. each. So I'll, I'll pay off all the debt service and the investor and all of our stuff. We'll each make our, I, I did a seven, a 65, 35. So he's going to make 35. I'll make 65. And then, um, so we'll all get our money back. The houses will sell and we'll own this other piece of land outright. And then rather than selling it, we're going to try to partner with the builder. And I've kind of showed a couple of them there. We got to get the other side of it before it's, you know, it's got to be done. But, um, the plan would be that we would give them the land plus our profits. And then we would take a percentage of a apartment complex. So if it works out, I will have started with nothing, put no money into it, and parlayed it into what, what could be 26 units. Holy so, smokes. Okay. 
So a lot of times when we ask this question, people are talking about people getting shot up, you know, feces in the house, (laughs) that type of stuff. This is awesome. Like you're diving straight into this like gangster style return, right? Like, like you said, this is your best deal ever. Like this is incredible. So let's, let's break this down here real quick. So, and, and there's terms that are different up there than like I experienced in California. So short plat, I'm assuming is the, the term for dividing a single piece of land into multiple pieces of land. Is that fair? Okay. Excellent. So you buy this property for $560,000 and on this property, yeah. did you say it was like five acres? Is that, what was it? Four, it's 4.8 acres. Okay. And on this 4.8 acres, one of the sections that was short plat was three houses and the other one was two houses, one house. One house. Okay. There's four total okay. houses. Three habitable were rented when I got them. And then the fourth one's kind of a teardown. Okay, cool. So you went, you have some relationships with different people through your line of work, through the networks that you're in, so on and so forth. You were able to call up a guy say, look at this, this deal. And he was like, this is such a great deal. I'll, I'll happily give you 200K for 35% of the action. Uh, okay, cool. Yep. So, so at this point, as you mentioned, no money out of pocket, you close the deal. So you guys got some financing on it then if he put in 200K, right? So you finance what, like close to 400,000? We did a yep. bridge loan and uh, we did it for 560 plus. I, for worst case scenario, because I don't know what the exit's yeah. going to be, I wanted to have as many exits as I can. And the way my lender works is I can put, they'll borrow 90 and I can put 10 in and then they'll borrow... Um, Basically, they'll give me 90% of the renovation too. So I basically took a $400,000 renovation budget and only cost me 40 grand, which of course that's, we used his money. Plus we did the 10% down with his money. So I think we're in for, in, into it for like, it was like 89,000 or something like that. Wow. Yeah, which was his money, which is great. Yeah. It was wonderful. So 89 out of pocket, cause he's gotten 111 of it back from, from the forms of the loan. Then you turn around and you short, or the short plat will be finished, you think, in December? Yeah, we just ordered all of our utility locates. We've done all the mapping and the topographical and the setbacks and all the, you know, all the utilities. And we've submitted it preliminary. We went to county and they underwrite it and look for fire and you know, all the stuff that they do. I've never done a lot of developing, so I'm, I'm learning. But uh, I got to sit in a room with a bunch of smart people two times, which was super cool. Um, but now they're in like the, say there's five steps, we're in step three. Wow. So, so I just want to continue down this journey and I, and I, I want to also pause a little bit here and talk about the fact that I think something you said is so important. Like you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Number one, like all you have to do in my opinion, and I think you're expressing this is do one thing out of all of them. It doesn't have to, and it doesn't even have to be the same thing. If you find the deal, you're immediately in, right? If you have the money, you're, you're in, if you have the knowledge, you're in, right? You just yeah. happen to find the deal, which is sometimes is usually the best, best place to be. You're getting, you're getting along for the ride. You're getting all the learning, all the knowledge, no money, no, no financial risk in that sense. So this is amazing. So you're into it 89 end of the year, early next year, you're selling one of it for, you're getting that investor paid out plus some profit, et cetera. Yeah, the goal is to sell the three houses on the one side of the property yep. and then keep it as big a chunk of land next to it as possible because that land is the unicorn land. Okay. Gotcha. So the three houses will sell, you're saying for like 300, 350 each? I think so. I, I'm, I'm almost certain I can sell for 325. I mean, I think that things would have to be pretty crappy for that. Okay. And then the debt on this was a 560 bridge loan plus the 89 to the investor plus, was it 400,000 rehab loan? 
Now, obviously, we're drawing against that, so we, we don't have to pay interest on what we haven't drawn. Yeah. So it's not like it's just out there. It's available a, to you, like a HELOC almost, yeah. so to speak. If it didn't work, then I could go remodel all you know all four houses, which the, the fourth house would need a lot. And then I can sell them like to a investor or I can sell them to a veteran because it's one tax parcel, four houses. So uh, I wanted to make sure that I had all the contingencies that could, you know, what if they won't short flat me or what if yeah. the county wants to say that they don't want them to do stuff. Love this thinking, right? So you're, you're minimizing downside as you go. Like, okay, if face, it's like, here's the master plan, but here's the three junctures in which it could fail. And you have an exit plan that's profitable on each one of them. Yeah, super, super smart. Theory. So I haven't been tested yet, but I have four exits. Right? Four yeah. Exits. Which is so solid because I, I did a I did a development deal in California that, that it went south of Juncture 1, but because we had an exit, we still made some profit. A much smaller profit than we were hoping, but we knew that you know it was out of our control, right? Which is kind of similar to you. It's likely to happen, but it's out of your control. So this is this is incredible. So if those three houses sell for 300 or 350 each, you're, you're completely wiped clean. You pay the guy off. You're basically, like you said, you're into this unicorn land. So let's talk about the development of this and that strategy. So you're going to a builder and you're offering them some sort of partnership or JV, it sounds like, to build it out. Talk, talk more about that. My thought is kind of like, could go a lot of different directions. Yeah. So one could be that, you know, just because it'll allow 26 units doesn't mean we can get them in there with road and ingress and egress and fire and everything, but that's what we have now. So all the short plan is how do we structure this land to where we can get our fire access and we can set it up to where phase two, when we own the land, it's set up to be successful. So that's why the short plan is going to take, it's taking six months is because we got to jump through all the hoops because we're ha we have to sell the county both phase one and two. Let us short plot it today and then let us do this new thing tomorrow. So that's where I'm kind of a little bit out of my, my league because I don't know. But assuming it goes through, we'll basically sell the three houses. We'll have profit, uh, which I estimate to be about two, excuse me, two to 300,000 total after all is net zero. And then we'll have a piece of land that we own outright. That now that land, now we got to figure out what to do with the land. So the land could be, we could challenge its zoning and go industrial because it on three sides and neighbors industrial land. So we could try to challenge that, which I think we could do well. Um, time and money probably, right? Go storage, um, like self storage or something. Yeah, storage would be wonderful there. I mean, it's literally right off the freeway. It'd be a one, you could see it from the freeway. It'd be, it'd be a great spot for that. Um, you could do flex industrial spaces, which is what I was trying to, I felt like I thought was gonna be a good fit for you know contractors. Cause it's kind of on a hill that kind of goes yay. So you can cascade them up and you know have these tracks going down and. It, it would flow well for traffic and fire and all the stuff they need. Um, so we could do that. And the guy that I partnered with, he does that. He, he packages them up, gets them paper lotted and gets them all designed and then sells them. That's he's done it, I think, five times in the last 10 years or so. He's, wow. it's, it, it, that's his game. He feels, I think he wants to do that. I think he'd like to see him go all the way through. Yeah. But my thought is, is let's find someone who can be our third leg and let them build it. Yeah. And we'll be silent partners and he can do everything and then just pay us a residual or mm. he can, we can throw our land in and get paid out of the takeout. I don't know exactly how the land will come into play, but the land will be a utility that we have and we won't have any debt on. Yeah. So we'll be able to really, you know, we'll have time, patience. We could, we could wait to wait out a, a turn or whatever. So you could develop it, sell it, make millions. You could develop it, sell it, collect passive. If you make millions on the development, you could take that money. You could send that into a bigger thing and create 
ten to thirty thousand dollars a month of passive income forever in some other purchase, or if you're owning twenty six, you know, rentals and you're getting a cut of that, you know, be it a quarter, third, half, or whatever. I mean, this this is the type of property I'm so excited that you brought up because, like in the in the Facebook group that we have, we're trying our best to to let people know and to change the mindset around it's going to take a hundred properties to retire. Like for me to go from zero to where I, I wouldn't have to work, I still do because I have a passion, a purpose and a mission in life, but to get to where I didn't have to work was five transactions. And so, but now that I've done it in five, I think you could do it in one or in two, like the one you've got. And so like the more we can rack up these stories and show people, Hey, this is no joke. I mean, it's not that this transaction is that you had was easy necessarily to find or to develop or to think through. It's it's one big massive problem, but I mean played out well with no money out of your pocket. You're gonna go. Not saying you have zero passive income because I know that's not true. But you're you're gonna go theoretically from zero to retirement level passive income in one series of like like one transaction essentially, like with multiple multiple phases. And this is beautiful. Here's another cool thing that I think that I've learned the most of that I heard in the room. The second meeting I had, the one guy said, you know, here's your play here. And I was like, okay, so I'm writing down and taking notes. Um, I'm very much the rookie in the room. So I, I, I'm just humbly just asking. Coming from a guy with, what, what is it decade, decades of mortgage experience, tons of transactions under his belt, real estate agent wife, like, yeah. So. But I am a rookie in this thing. Yeah. I don't know how to work with municipalities and the, there's a lot of things in there that's over my pay grade and I just have to trust that there's a process yeah. at the time. But he said, Shane, the brilliant of this thing is, is each phase it's more marketable. So if I separate it, it's got a high level of marketability. If I don't separate, I got three houses and I got to tear down, I got to tear down, but still marketable. And then I go to the next phase. Well, if I paper lot it and come up with a plan, each phase of that, it becomes more marketable. So if I get it to where it's ready to build, now it's worth half a million dollars or a million dollars. If I build on it now, it's worth you know four million dollars. If I if I do deep you know zero lot line townhomes now I now I have you know so like each phase could could go further down the road. Which I've never had something that had so much you know longevity upside that it's actually um, super encouraging because I'm trying to figure out like what is the best path. Yeah, and the fact that I have so many options. Is, so we're paying uh, uh, architectural firm to do what's called a test to fit. Where they're taking all of our known things of setbacks and zoning and height restrictions and all the things that you can do and they're saying hey here's three or four things that could work here and then it's our job to go and analyze those and come up with what we think was you know the cheapest you know, process you know, path to get there and fastest and all that stuff cool this is fascinating i could spend a long time on this but just for sake of moving on to, to, to other topics i want one final thing on this the mcgraw master plan if your plan perfectly came out to vision, what would the final analysis of this property, what would it look like? How would it be developed? How much money would it make you both either, either in equity or in passive income? So I think my ultimate goal is to figure out how to get, um, you know, retirement level assets, stuff that has both short-term gain and long-term gain. I want my first year cash on cash return and anything I do to be profitable. You know, I want to enter into a good deal and then better it by being industrious and creative and inventive. And when I talk about the cadre a little bit, I'll explain what I mean by those words, because it's not just about the practices, it's about the partnerships and how you, which I, and I'm not an expert in that either, but I, the 
the more I understand it's like peeling off the layers of a secret formula. And I just want to learn more because I, I recognize it's such a multiplier. So my thought would be is to tie it up in such a way that it makes the most cash flow possible. But I'm not tied to you know forever outcome. I, I, if I can make $2 million and then now the question is, is what do I do with that $2 million to make more cash flow than I'm making there? So I could, you know, so I'll, everything's for sale if I can get more cash flow from the next season. But at this point, my goal would be to own it. It's just right in the center of everything. And I, I'm just really bullish on what it could be. I would really like to drive by that for the rest of my life and show my kids and such. But I'm a bit of a, um, you know, when I pick something cool, I'll drive my friends by it and make them look how cool it is. <laughs> so I love okay. my town and I want to see it be cool. You know, this little blight, this... It's right by a bus stop or homeless people transitioning. I mean, so I can really make a difference, which is cool. Well, yeah, that's one of the best parts about this, right? Not only are you making a difference, but you're building something that you can show to your kids and yeah. to your family and to your friends or whatever. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah. Um, love where you're going there. What's cool um, land outright is you have the wind at your back with your bankers. You can sit with them and say, hey, I got this paperwork. This paperwork in this land. This makes it worth a million. I'm not asked. I don't want to put any more money in it. I want the the equity position to keep driving it. My hope is, is that I can get from now to then without having to put any money into it because the deal stays you know, forward, forward facing. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, totally. That makes total sense. Um, so let's get into this cadre thing that you got going on. Um, networking for me has by far been the largest influence on my career. So I would love to dive super deep into this with you. So can we just start it off? Let's kick it off with, with what the concept is as a whole, and then we'll just dive deeper into it. So the word concept was just cool because it rhymed with cadre, so it's kind of concept. But the framework is what I'm referring to, and I could pull up some imagery and show you some stuff. But the basic idea is like, um, I'm a mortgage lender, so by trade, I started like a coaching system for my own staff because I was trying to figure out how to teach them the value of bringing in the inbound lead, having the client be your client, but the customer and the referral source is the focus. So, you know, the renewable reserve, renewable resource was the realtor, but the client obviously is, you know, that's, that's what we do is we help clients buy houses. Um, but the client will come and go and, you know, we'll work our database and hopefully every three to five years, we'll get a chance to stand in front of them again. But, you know, we're going to get 15 deals from this realtor. So on all my monitors, it would say, we love the customer, but the client is our realtor. And that's how we would try to enter. So that's the initial framework of where the cadre concept came from, which didn't have any mission to it at all. It just was an idea of like, Okay, realtors are renewable. It's like a mutual fund. If I can take good care of them, they're going to send me. They're going to go work on Saturdays and weekends and nights and holidays, and, and they're going to get this opportunity. And then they're going to send it to me because you know eighty-five percent of people have to use a loan to buy a house, and they need someone like me. They can trust someone who. And I have like three frameworks that every professional needs. Um, so I think that's probably worth saying. Um, they need to know that you communicate well. They need to know that you'll make them look good, which is number one, by the way. And then they need to know that you, you have professional representation, that you actually can make their life easier by doing what you said you were doing and make them the, give the client what they want and give it to them with style. So that's where I started recognizing that. So I started teaching that to all my team. Hey, how do we make them look good today? You know, so you know, every, every single thing we do is trying to make the realtor look good because we needed them to multiply their business because we were the sole, we were the reason, we were the finances of all their clients. 
So, you know, it made no sense to celebrate me. I need only to celebrate them. Well, then in time, I started realizing I was part of this coaching system, and we had this thing called an accounts pyramid. And basically what we'd do is we'd say we need so many of these type of accounts, you know, ranking them. And if we could get a whale, then this person would give us this much units. And if we can get someone here, they'd give us this many closings. And we'd look at it, and there was like this quantitative method, and I loved it. But what I started to realize after four or five years of doing it, and I would, I would go to my coach's offices and I'd look at their pyramid and I would see year over year the turnover that was inside this accounts pyramid where you would see like Johnny, Sarah, and Steve were sending, you know, 30% of this guy's business. And then the next year, John, Sarah, and Steve weren't even sending any business. And there was a new set of, you know, Laura, Peter, and Sam that were sending the business, you know. And I was like, man, there's such turnover in this thing. But we're, we're high-level practitioners. But for some reason, we're not able to create this longevity, this loyalty, this consistency over time, um, unless it was an account. And the only way that would work is if you had a shared mission, which is like if you if you met a realtor that represented a builder. Now, now you've got a realtor, you got a lender, and you got a builder, and the three of us are three parts of a stool. we got to work together with a shared mission. Then it was sticky. And then you'd see people work together for four or five years, 10 years. Um, so I started realizing there's more to the accounts pyramid than just getting people to send you all their business. You need to figure out how to have a shared mission or purpose with them, which is kind of going back to what you're saying, Matt, about you know, you're driven by this passion and this purpose, and it, it's more than just you love the game and you love winning the game. And the only way you win the game is by working with other people and help them win the game. So all that to say, I started recognizing this is, this is a thematic and there was breadcrumbs across the board. And each time I peeled off the layer, I recognized the, the power of working together with other like-minded, skilled people was the secret sauce of it all. And it was eluding me all the time. It was driving me crazy. It was so hard to get real, reliable relationships that would send me business consistently. And then I started recognizing because I was starting with the wrong, I was starting the front instead of the end. And the end was, how do I help us both reach the goals that we've set out for each other? So I started asking different questions, like, not like, what do you want in the lender, but in five years, what do you hope your business looks like? How much money do you want to make? Where do you want to be? How does this impact your family? Um, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, how would you have won, won the game that you're playing? And how do you know, how do you, how would you know we got there? And when I started asking, you know, at the end questions, then I could reverse engineer, you know, the value I was bringing. So then I would say, Hey, well, if you want that, then we need to go get you a builder. So let's, you know, let's go find you this builder and let's work together. And before you know it, I became a team builder. I would spend all my time connecting people to other people. And, you know, you have someone who has this skill and someone who has this skill. And I would try to meld them together. And the three of us could be better because we we're working together. That's when I realized that teams work in threes, always in threes, um, not twos. And I think, you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, when three or more are gathered, you know, there's, there's something to this idea of like, we're meant to do it in threes. And I can, I can give you a lot of background and core to three strands is not easily broken. Exactly. Yeah. It's three. Yeah. Please provide as much context as possible. I'm not as well read as you guys on this issue. So backing up and going back. Okay. Now, how do we make this a practice? So then I created, started creating systems for people to follow. So like, this was my first one. This is just a pad that I have on my desk and it's a rips off and it just has all my proactive behaviors for a day. You know, the bare minimum that makes me successful. And then on the back, it had introspective questions, you know, like, did I win my day? You know, where did I get my leads from? Super basic. Almost anybody could look at this and go, yeah, this is not 
this isn't going to change my life. But what we learned is your daily habits turned into weekly results and weekly turned into, and then we started kind of getting more into this idea of like goal setting and vision planning and like, how do we get further? And then I realized I was going too far out and then COVID hit. And I just happened to be kind of in that space when I was, something was missing in my equation. And then I read the 12 week work year. I don't know if you've ever heard that Brian book, Wright. but it just, yeah. immediately, just the title changed everything for me. So I stopped doing any planning that was more than 13 weeks. And this changed everything for me. This is when I went from about a million to $10 million in assets. And this is when I went from making about a million to, you know, working and grinding to making like a million through leverage and multiplication and helping other people win and, you know, having deals come to me and, you know, wholesaling and flipping and like all of a sudden more things came to my vision when I started trying to solve for the, the end and then working backwards, but only three months in a row, you know, 12 weeks. And when COVID was happening, I mean, looking any further was fruitless. I mean, you just couldn't see, I mean, the world was changing in such a dynamic way. So I engineered everything that way. I went and redid all my systems and all my processes and I built charts and float things. And we would just basically say, here's our sprint. We called it, started calling it a sprint. And in the next 12 weeks, we're going to accomplish this. Now let's work backwards. What needs to have happened to make that work? What's reasonable? What's measurable? And we would just start delegating and it became much more practical to implement. Going back to this deal that we found, um, what I started realizing is I need to drive for dollars like all the time. You find because, a $2 million deal and life changes for you real quick. Absolutely. And I started realizing it, there's no replacement for it. Shane's got to get in his car. He's got to enjoy the, enjoy the ride. I put on some Chris Stapleton and I start cruising and I start taking pictures of ugly houses that I'd like to own. And I send him a postcard and I started getting better at my postcards and I started integrating QR codes and you know, just kind of getting better. Never had a full plan, just kind of getting better as we go. And then before you know, my phone started to ring a lot. And then I started having problems. And the problems were is I was getting opportunities for deals and I needed to solve for those deals. And that's when I started going, shoot, I wonder if Matt wants to buy something. Right. You know, like maybe we can buy this together. Maybe he can buy this one or maybe, you know, maybe he can do the work and then I can buy it or, you know, because I was just trying to solve for the opportunities. It's not that they were raining from the mountaintops, but I could see them. I don't know if that makes sense, but sometimes you can just take off your blinders and you start to see opportunity everywhere you go. And if you have the, if, and then. Um, let's let's, the let's take a scenic pause here. I mean, you have just dumped value. Um, that's going to take some time to unpack. So let, if I can, let me start where you're at spend a little time there and work back a little bit. So let's start on the driving for dollars and the properties. You went from a million dollars of assets, you said to $10 million of assets. First, just to give everybody a sense, like what time frame was it over? Was that over five years, 10 three years, years, three years? You were building $3 million of assets under ownership a year, 3.3 or something like that a year. That is just nuts. So all of that, would you say most of that was attributed to the driving for dollars efforts? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you grind it down to the basic, yeah, I think that was definitely a lead catalyst in it. Wow. A lot of it also was that I was very, uh, I was, I became very clear about what I wanted to accomplish. And so I was kind of using the driving for dollars as one of my lead indicators. Of that. And this is nuts. I mean, like I just, I've been taking notes as you've been talking. I mean, the amount of value that you provided those agents, you basically took the role of the broker. You took the role of the team leader and you said, you know, well, let's scrap that. We'll just provide everything. And 
I would imagine, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, by diving into their whys, by diving into their goals, by understanding them, by helping them sort out their thoughts, by helping them get clarity, like you got clarity, the connection, the human relationship connection there has got to be like just rock solid. And so. Way better. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And still to this day, like I, I always believe cadre for a life, lifetime working together for a season. You got to let people, you got to have an open hand. It's like in your marriage. If you hold on too tightly, you're doing it wrong. You got to, you got to be willing to let go and, and let her stay. You, know, you got to be working. Mm -hmm. You got to be good enough in your own skin so that she can, you know, pursue you also. I mean, for me, I'm always been like way into her and she's been kind of into me. And I had to learn to go, Hey, this is who I am. I hope you're sticking around, but you know, I love you as much as I know how <laughs> you're going to have to do the same on your own. You know? So when I started letting go and, not demanding long-term relationships, but just impactful relationships. It's just opportunity family. It just, I don't know how to explain it, but it just did. Oh, I mean, it makes perfect sense because you're going to, you're asking people what they want to do and then you're simply helping them achieve it. Yeah. So not only are you building a stronger relationship, but it's going to be far more impactful because you got them to where they wanted to go. So why would they ever leave you? So, I mean, it's actually a brilliant concept on, on many levels. Yeah, it was, it's been fun. Um, and, you know, I'm learning as I go. It's still really fun. I love how modest you are. You're learning as you go, and you're talking about this killer real estate deal to kick us off. In, <laughs> Two million. Um... <laughs> so let's dive into something that I think is really cool because I see – evidence of this and what Tim and I are doing and some of the things I've done in the past. Like, it seems like one, you're going so far above and beyond to strategize for people and to create solutions that they wouldn't already be able to create. But, but I do see like elements of like the go giver type mentality, the networking, the connector mentality. And I could tell you, like, there's been a few times, like six month, one, two year periods in business, both now as a podcast and before in, in certain elements where I did that. And it was like, there was something magical about that. I mean, just even in the last three weeks, like the, the opportunities we've had to make other people hundreds of thousands of dollars and make a few dollars ourselves just by simply passing names along has been like unbelievable. Can, can you give us a little more detail into, you said you went from grinding, that's not the word you use, but grinding essentially to get a million dollars to just chilling, making a million dollars. Can you give us a little bit more of how that transpired? Well, I think um, abundance is attracted based on the value you bring to the marketplace. And I think that's, I mean, if you're writing something down and you want to like pick up the words that I'm saying and chew on them and look them up and try to figure out why I weed them, those are some of the best words that I've found is that if you can, if you can bring a value to the marketplace where you're solving a, a, a real problem and you can make it tangible where other people can see the problem you solve, they will call you for the solution. So like my wife's a realtor and one of the things I did with her is, you know, we're sitting, she, there was a season when she was a realtor, but as like a hobbyist, she was a mom first, realtor second. And God always provided for us in a weird way when my business was sloughing, she would close a couple of deals and it'd just always be a wonderful blessing. Or we'd, we'd go to Hawaii because Carly made the money that, was, that we could do that with, you know? And for 10 years, it was kind of like that. And then uh, my business was kind of shaky and I had a team member kind of do some stuff and I ended up kind of stepping back and I was exhausted and I was like, you know, I'm going to go do some vertical or some horizontal income because this vertical stuff is killing me. You know, it's just, I, the grind is just too much. 
So I don't mind doing the vertical, but I only if I can do horizontal. Also, and I, I wanted to figure out, and I know real estate really well because I've been lending on it and helping people make decisions on it for a long time. So I just started kind of taking my own advice, if you will. Um, and it kind of led me to this idea where my wife finally, for the first time, wanted to know what I would do if I were her. And that was a big moment for me as a husband because, you know, what's the best thing you could ever do is see your best friend win. And she didn't always want to hear it from me, you know, which sucked. But at the same time, um, when she was ready, when the students were ready, the teacher will appear. So I used to, so what I do is I, every six months, I take my wife on a couple's retreat is what we call it. And we do goal setting and I'm into it. She goes because she gets a nice hotel and we, we kind of make it fun. And um, I wake up super early. I plan for it. And then she wakes up and she's like, okay, you got two hours. That's it. And then we're going to have fun because she's not, she, she trusts that I have it kind of thing. So we're going through it and she sits down and she says, all right, you got 30 minutes, coach me. And you know, at this time I'm coaching loan officers across the country. I got this proven framework. Everybody's winning. And I'm like, here we go. Here we go. You know, I'm jacked because my wife's finally ready and she's way better. And she's, she's, she's awesome. And I, uh, she says, I need to figure out how to do my job. And I said, well, we need to first simplify your messaging. What do you solve? And so we just said real estate made easy because my wife, if she's anything, she's, She's just an easygoing gal. She's friends with everybody and she just makes, makes life easy. She just always looks like she's, you know, she's got to figure it out. And, um, so we started making real estate easy and that was the problem we solved. Real estate shouldn't be hard. And we started really getting clear about how we make it easy and what are the things we do and, and, and who do we partner with? So then she became really good friends with photographers and stagers and cleaners and, you know, landscapers. And she worked that to where. People would literally refer her because she would make everything easy. She'd call her crew and they'd just come in and take over and just knock it out. And her business grew. Now she's in the top, she's in the top 10 realtors in the county. She's killing it. I mean, she's closing 10 or 15 transactions a month. Holy smokes. It's not me that's doing it. It's her all the way. Yeah. But we're a team. You know, I can help and I can, and, but because she simplified what she was good at and she became very clear at it, it grew. Wow. So I think think that's one of the tricks in this business is you you got to solve a problem and make it very clear what you solve so people know how to buy your product know how, to, know how to solicit your service and that's what we did in the real estate flipping game we just made it easy there's there's so many different ways we can take this and i'm going to allow you to guide me a little bit in the sense that like where my mind goes maybe doesn't isn't where you want to go so if this is not where you want to go stop me but you're you're showing some signs of emotion and I'm really digging that. Can you dive in deep? I mean, like you're talking about a husband-wife combo. You obviously love her to death. There's a lot of husband-wife combos out there. Can you, if you're willing, take us through maybe some of the times before this good time? Like, and and really give people out there that might be struggling some hope and you know, just just kind of share your experience. Okay, so, so with a little context, my wife and I have been married for 18 years. Um, I grew up on the one side of the track where I experienced all kinds of stuff and caused a lot of problems. And, you know, I, I, I was a good salesman, but I, I didn't sell. I wasn't trying to make money for a while, if that makes any sense. Um, I was trying to win over the ladies, and um, I was reasonably good at it, you know. And I, um, I grew up really fast. I didn't have the family support system. She had all the things that I didn't have. You know, she, she moved from her dad's home to my home. She, she was a good girl. She never smoked anything or done anything wrong. And I had done all the things. 
So there was like this thing where we had this moment when she was fixing the bad boy to a degree and I was happy to be fixed. You know, I, I knew that I needed a good woman in my life and I was glad to start breaking some of these habits that were causing me, you know, a, a bumpy road, if you will. Um, so our first five years were bumpy like that, where I was, you know, making all kinds of drama and she was kind of being a woman of grace and kind of helping me become the man that I was trying to be. Um, right before I met her, I had found Jesus, and I was really on the track of like becoming the best version of myself. And um, she just perpetuated that and took it to another level, and just became my my mentor for a long time. But then when I, I so I went from the military to a government job in the shipyard where I was working nine to five doing the shipyard shuffle, and you know it's like working at the coal coal mine or something. I mean, the shipyard is that is that in Bremerton? Yeah. Cool. Keep going. Yeah. So. I was working there. I was cleaning ball valves and doing the shuffle. I was kind of doing well and making some decent money and getting some benefits, but I was miserable. My soul was not happy. So one day I came home and I was happy and she was like, why? And I'm like, because I quit today. And she's like, okay, well, you're not sleeping with me anymore. So this is going to be really tough for you because I, my dad retired from there for 38 years. And this is what I believe is the reality of life is you know, men work and women stay home and this is kind of the way this works and we have some kids and you just quit your job. And I was like, look, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> so I started doing mortgages at night while I was working at the shipyard and I was kind of getting a critical mass going and I was side hustling and, you know, I was, my mom was doing the loans and I was getting the loans and we were kind of working it out and I was just kind of making it happen. And then, you know, once I finally got going, my wife, if I spent 10 bucks on taking someone to coffee, she, she'd just get pissed. She's like, we can't spend money on business. I'm like, I don't know how else I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, you got to spend money to make money in this thing. So I, this is this is probably a good example. I I started automatic drafting my paychecks into two accounts, one account that she knew about and one that she did not, because I needed to build a business and I needed some capital to do it. And for like a year and a half, I literally stole money from my family out of my paycheck so that my wife wouldn't know. But in that time. I was reading, I was coaching, I was doing all the things. I was taking it serious because I had a family, right? I started to get successful and then 2008 happened and, you know, I had to recalibrate and, you know, recommit. And that moment was when her and I became a team. Wow. And that's when, that's when it changed. I went through bankruptcy. I mean, I didn't have much to lose and I, I wish I would have had some better counsel at the time. But I still, I, I tapped out, took a seven, let the world, let the government take care of my debts. And from that point on, I became very disciplined. I was 25 years old and I knew I'm never going back to this again. I'm never, I'm never making these mistakes again. And um, my wife and I became unified in that. And that's what kind of made us, that war that we had to fight together is what brought us together. And then wow. from there, we spent the last you know, 13 years you know, being a team at home. And then now we're a team. Yeah. And we've been a team in the workplace the whole time too. But now we're a team. Like her and I are having business meetings. We're going over P&Ls. We're, we're, we're very much so. Very good to hit. That's so crazy. And so like, what would you say? I mean, obviously I know the moment because you've described it. But what do you think was like behind the moment? Do you think it was the fact that she felt like, hey, okay, he's arrived as a provider that, that that was such a fundamental thing for her. Yeah, for sure. My wife still is that way. She like right now, she's actually making more money on paper than I do because I spend all my money on assets. So I'm making $800 every month for the rest of our life. And she's like, well, I, it's not going to pay the bills. So we're, we're very much so still figuring out how to have our, 
know, our dynamics. You know, I think I think a marriage every five years has got to be probably you know put out, kicked, and then start anew. Hundred percent. Like I can't tell you how appreciative I am of, of just the raw, real thing. Like just you know, like in my marriage, I've been married now for fourteen and a half years. It's like there's so many evolutions to it. It's like the you know, I got married when I was 20, she was 21. It's like, you're just not the same people at 30, 35, you know, you go through so many things and it's like, are you continuing to evolve together? And and there's, yeah. So, I mean, just this, gosh, I mean, I can only imagine people that are in a similar spot, like, and like one thing I'm impressed by is like, so, so that definitely there's a peers, like there's a, an imposter syndrome, right? In the sense that like, you're the guy that is looking up to her, looking up to her family going through, like you guys married, you said eight years. Is that right? Did I get that right? 18. Total. Oh, 18. Thank you. Yeah. Being in a marriage, like what were some of the psychological mental strategies, coping strategies that you used in those moments where it's like, it was, wasn't easy. Like how, how have you kept yourself like so engaged and, and on track? I think that if I were to, I don't expect other people to have what I have in this one area. This is where it makes me a little weird. I am absolutely in love with this woman. Hmm. Like it's not fake. It's not kind of like if she left, a piece of me would be gone forever. I may be able to get married again, but I would never, she's got a spot. She's my girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she was an answer to a lot of praying and she was an answer to a lot of healing and a lot of things in my life. I had a broken family. Her and I were supposed to, I was, uh, this is probably oversharing, but we're, we're, we're getting it out. Um, when I was 11, my dad was kind of a dick. So he would get drunk and alcohol or whatever. And he'd kind of beat, beat us up and stuff. And one of the, I have a, my first major event in my life when I, I could go back and tell you what the, it smelled like and how I felt. And I was sitting on a park bench and I can, you know, I'm probably don't remember it exactly the right way, but I was young. I'm looking across the street and I'm watching my dad beat up my mom inside of this silhouette of a house. And now my brother and my sister, and we're having a moment. And I just felt this presence on me that said, you know, I'm going to build a much better version of this with you, Shane. Gosh. You know, you're going to have a family. This is going to be better. And I knew that for my whole life since then. So I've all, and I've had a couple of moments to, re, to solidify that, that moment, you know, you know, cause you go through stuff in life. Like when I was in the Middle East, I had another one. By myself, I'm like, okay, I'm not living up to that calling that I had. I gotta, I gotta do something about that. Well, Carly brought out the best part of me, you know, when I met her. So, Incredible. the first thing is that I love my wife a lot. The second thing is that she loves me a lot. And I think you just get lucky sometimes, and you pick the right person, that, and you guys can get through some stuff. But we work at it a lot. You know, we're best friends. We work out every morning at the gym together. We, you know, we. We end every night together, you know, I chase her, she runs. It's a good time. It all works. Wow. So I don't expect everybody to have the same results, but I think you can. If you, the Bible says that if a man and a woman are to truly become a one, you know, to consummate that through this, this, this commitment where she surrenders and you kind of die to her and it's this idea of like, you put each other first in these gender roles. You put each other fully first. I think that that's the secret sauce of all things in life. If you can surrender and, and someone can submit and you guys can figure out a way. My wife doesn't submit to nothing. My wife's a strong woman, mm -hmm. but she loves me and she, she lets me be the man. Wow. 
Sounds Sometimes she steers a little bit. But. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like our premarital well, counseling, my counselor told me, he's like, you know you have love when the needs of the other person become the needs of your own. And I kind of hear hints of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what she said earlier, like, that is my girl. Like, I could totally relate to you there, like, on multiple levels. Like, my wife is my girl, and, and there's literally no interest for me to be with anybody else, like, at all. Like, the only way that I would even consider it would be, like, if, if the relationship was over and it was simply irreparable. Like, I could totally relate with you there. There's just nobody else in the world for me. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to take that in a direction. Yeah. So just, just kind of diving back in. So the voice, so talk to me about this. So, so you have this voice that tells you, so your dad's obviously in the situation where he creates this interesting dynamic for you. You have this voice, like, what do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that to your conscience? Do you attribute like, how, how did you experience that? Like, give us some more depth. You know, I think when you, for me, when I've, when my faith became real to me, it comes with peace. So in moments when I shouldn't have peace, I'm able to find it. And that moment I was in a spot where I, you know, it was a traumatic thing for a young man. It was a terrible burden for me to be sitting with my brother and sister in that role at 11 years old. Um, it was a terrible thing to see your mom going through this thing. And it's a terrible thing to know that um, you're 11 and there's nothing you can do. But somehow I found a peace and that peace found me and I was able to just clearly feel the difference in the reality I was in and what I believed was to come. And it just gave me a hope. And that's the thing that I can kind of, you know, um, you know, we're in like, so when you. Can I, can I pause you for a second? Cause I, I mean, I, your story is pretty much my story. Um, so I went the other direction though. So when I grew up, I grew up fairly religious. You know, my, my grandfather, I used to teach Sunday school and stuff. So I was fairly religious. But I mean, I've had similar experiences. I mean, I'm not going to say this on air. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that one. Um, but I will say that I have witnessed my mom being beat as well, not by my father, by another man. And And there were many, many things that happened in my young life that, you know, I used to pray a lot. And, you know, I never got any answers. So I stopped fucking asking. Um, <laughs> that's what happened for me. Um, and, you know, recently there's just been a occurrence, a string of events, really. I mean, lots of people have been introduced into my lives. And, you know, it's like, I'm just really interested, like, um, because it's, it's clear to me that religion played a very important role in your development. And, and I went the other way. And, and I'm more open to the idea now than I was when I was younger. I was I was pretty angry at, at the idea of God when I was younger because it, just, it wasn't fair, um, to be quite honest. I mean, I was thrown under shit like every freaking year. Um, and it's just, I mean, I think it's so powerful what you said. Like, you know, I'm, in, I'm jealous too because I wish I had the same experience. It's not religion for me, though. It's faith. There's a, it's just a difference. It's not a, it's not a religious response. I... I the way people do religion is 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 a hard thing, right? We, it's just it's got a lot of pain for a lot of people. For me, it's a faith. You know, I believe I was created, and I, I no one can tell me otherwise. You know, I, I really believe that. I have a faith in that, and I believe I was created with agency, 
and choice. And I believe that I was equated with uh, um, skills and talents and time. And I kind of want to be a badass at that. I want to, I want to look up and say, Hey, you know, I did what I could with what I had and I did my best. And for me, the faith is where I was able to find it. The religion I'm still, I, 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 I take it or ask leave me. It. Yeah. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. You know, I love the community of religion, but I love the peace of faith. The faith, faith is my own. So. Um, I would love some context there. Consider me a layman here. I, I, I'm having a difficulty differentiating the religion from the faith. Okay. Um, you know, one thing is like one of my phrases is like, if it's not good, he's not done. So I believe that things end up better in time. You know, I actually have a belief in that. It could be naivety, but I've been through enough to realize that it just tends. This world was made with a lot of intentionality. Drive around and look and open your eyes and look at the things and see how everything works together. If you can't see that it's not working together, it's because you don't want it, because it's there. So then why were you created inside of this big thing that all works together? For me, in my mind, there's purpose in it and you got to find purpose. You got to find it because if you don't, almost everything will be fleeting, fleeting. Like just, it, it'll, it, it, you'll have the steak in front of you, but you won't get to enjoy the taste until you give yourself permission to be fully, you know, in the moment and appreciate what you have. And then, you know, I don't know if that, I, I don't want to, used too many words because I could probably screw it up. But here's what I would say. Um, you know, you see people doing like a mushroom thing. You see people doing like where they're turning their body into a, a science experiment and they're just experiencing the reading and learning and growing and physical fitness and exertion. What is all that? What To what end? To what end? In my opinion, it's based on this idea of finding peace. And faith gives me peace. It just lets me know that there's a bigger story that I'm not the main character, that there's, there's, a, there's an all-knowing chap, something out there is, can see further down the road from me, and all I can do is do what I have, the best I can with what I have. And I have to believe that it's fake. I just have to believe that it, it gets better. So for me, um, Tim, if I were speaking into your life, I would tell you that uh, um, too many things in this world will avoid you if you have a hardened heart about it, you know, if, if you're, if you go into things with like a, like if I go into a relationship, like say me and my wife are having a, a tension. If I go into it wanting to win, I will lose. If I go into mm -hmm. it wanting to understand, I will win. So I just seek understanding. I seek, I, you know, I, I aim for understanding. And when I aim for it, I find it. Do I, the other day I wrote my dad, you know, this guy that I don't like that hasn't been in my life for a long time. I wrote him a six-page letter, and I, I didn't send it to him. But I'm still trying to process my daddy issues, still. Still trying to process it. Yeah. But the words yeah, yeah, me too. Me too on the mom's side. Um, I, I want to comment on something you just said, and this is going to get kind of dark for a second, but whatever. Um, if it's not good, he's not done yet. Um, I, that statement really resonates with me. Like, I almost teared up. I might be still. Um, so let's just say four years ago, like, my life took 
a massive, massive turn um, due to a car accident. And I was thrown into the most stressful 12-month period of my life. It will be the most stressful 12-month period of my life, no matter what happens. I know without a train, without a shred of doubt that nothing could be more difficult. I swear to God, my whole family could die in a car crash. It would not be as bad. Um, and, and I thought about killing myself almost every day. Um, and the only reason I didn't was because my mom left me. And I couldn't do that to my kid. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that means a lot to me, what you just said. If it's not good, he's not done. Because, you know, maybe... Because I wouldn't be where I am today if that didn't happen. And and maybe it was all necessary, is what I'm saying, I guess. Maybe he wasn't done yet. And you're not the center of the story, right? So it, not all those things happen to you. They happen when you're there. And then it's what you do with it, the agency that you take in response to that. Um, that's one of the things I talked about in my system that I created. Um, it's called attitude and effort. And I, I think those are the two things that we both have control of. All of us have control of it. They're the real, true, raw, bare minimum, you know, lowest common denominator. We have control of our attitude and our effort. And when you go through these main things, these big things like you went through, um, you get to see that attitude and that effort. Do you, do you, does your heart get hard or does your heart get soft? Both of them are a response and both of them are probably justifiable. Which one do you choose? Because it's that's you get that choice. So to me, I think the mindset of choosing an attitude of abundance, it plays into all areas of our life and our investing. You know, mm -hmm. like I think Tim, I think from what I can tell, you're a man of incredible like um, you have passion like me. Um, you're a passionate man. You probably love really well. Your wife probably loves that about you. Your kids probably love that about you. You can probably speak life and take life with your words because you have such passion and conviction. The agency you get with that attitude and effort is yours. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to define your story. My kids love my story. They tell their friends, oh, my dad, his dad was this way. And I, and I, I kind of, I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I went through something challenging. And I, I came out with a good attitude. And I learned how to play oh, I agree. Um, I agree. No, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I'm much better for going through it. It just, it was hard when it was happening, right? Absolutely. I don't want this to be about me. This is, this show, these shows are always about our guests. Um, but I mean, what you, you, what you were saying, I mean, your whole story, dude, really, like the whole thing, um, finding a good girl and, and like all of that. I mean, being a, a reckless young dude, like, I mean, yeah. Everything. I'm going to do my best to hold it together for the three of us so we don't all lose it. <laughs> one one question that's coming to, to my mind, Tim, you were asking for a little more clarity, and I, I'd like to get that as well. So we talk about the difference between faith and religion. I'm going to take a stab at it, and I, I just would like to know if it resonates. So do you, do you feel that, like, does it feel like faith as opposed to religion because it feels experiential and relational like like did you come to that faith like so you talk about the experience that you had and the experience is like hey you're gonna be okay like it's gonna be good like can you describe was it just an auditory was it a body you know experience like how did you know that that experience happened and was that the point where faith kind of entered the picture or did it come in before so i um and I'll try to say this as fast as I can because it could get me carried away a bit. So when I was a kid, my parents 
conceived me when they weren't ready. They were kids already and themselves. And my dad didn't even go to school. You know, he was, he was the long haired guy on a motorcycle that was picking up the ladies and dealing the drugs and really handsome and just like California kid type of thing, you know? And, uh, my mom was just smitten by this, this, this man that just what didn't was against his dad, her dad's rules. You know what I mean? And, uh, one thing led to another and they conceived a boy and because they were in a religious community they were forced to be married and they chose to get married and then to perpetuate pain for each other so they hurt each other they did drugs together they neglected each other they cheated on each other and then they made more children along the way and the three of us had to endure that nonsense for good parts of our life and then my mom was looking for anything to fix it she did not want to be in that space and she had the courage to try to ask a different question she had the courage to try to break the cycle of yesterday and try to make a new and she she had kids like you and me tim sometimes those kids are what keep going <laughs> you know what i mean and so she she had to find a why and she went to this outreach thing and she found faith and she quit all those drugs and all those things in one day and she came home and said, Shane, I'm a new person today. New things are happening. And she started making choices and decisions that led me to a, a, a real life, a possibility of much better things than what I had. So I think, I think the difference between religion and faith is religion is something you do with others. Faith is something you have between you and him. It's you, it's, it's a, it's a two way street with two, you know, your maker and you. That's the best I can put my words to it. It's, it's just, I have a father in heaven. I don't have a father on the earth, but I have a father in heaven. And for me, that suited my story that I can reach out and say, Hey dad, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I could use some, some, some connection. Truthfully, he doesn't talk to me either, but I do catch peace. I do catch peace. And you know, I've, I've learned to train myself up in that. So I wake up at early in the mornings and I, I spend a lot of time knocking on the door and making sure he hears that I'm praying. Sometimes he responds. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the day goes south. Sometimes it doesn't. But I find that I'm not alone in the story. And that, that's enough for me. That's my faith. But I don't know how other people find it. I just know that I needed faith. Like my little sister, she doesn't have faith. And she has anger. Her attitude and effort was not the right response. You know, and she mocks my faith. But my faith is brought me healing that has her her hers has not so that's that's my answer that, that was extremely powerful by the way go ahead Matt. um so tying some of these elements together so you have that experience as a youngster you're getting exposed to the faith by your mom's tremendous acts of courage tremendous acts i mean to to quit drugs cold turkey to to forge a different path is just heroic and then and then obviously that gives you the ability to experience these elements which has led you on a path of healing is there a connection between your heart for service and your business and the experiences that you had or do you feel like the heart that you have in business was just always a part of you to be that type of heartful person so remember when I told you I was kind of the ladies' man guy? Mm -hmm. um, I have this thing where I can feel other people. I, I don't know how other people are. Maybe everybody can feel it. But I can 
I can tell if you're gonna love and kiss you or not. You know, I can tell. <laughs> I just know. I know, yeah, I know I, if you want. I know that feeling. No, yeah. I can just feel it. I always have. I can feel it when when I'm with other people in a room. I can be in a room. I don't like being in big rooms, but I can feel the people in the room. I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be or not. Um, my best buddy, he's a pretty smart guy, and he said, Shane, the feeling we're giving to you because you're just supposed to speak into people's lives. And I, he said it, and I wasn't like, no. Uh. Yes. I was like, dang it. I've been using I've had this superpower, but I've been using it the wrong way. I've been using it to serve myself, and it works, but it doesn't quite work because it's got some, it's not authentic, you know. And then when I started getting more authentic with the skill and realizing that I'm, I can feel other people, I have an intercessory is what they call it, where I can, I can feel other people's stories. Um, I started reading about it and I started studying it. I started trying to understand how I was wired. And that led me to kind of a new way of doing things. And um, now I just try to get a little bit less dumb. You know, I just, I still am dumb. I still raw. I still make mis mistakes, but I, I can understand where they came from and I can correct them faster and take responsibility for them faster. I can, hey, Carly, the way I said that was wrong or my heart was this, but I said this, or I approached it this, you know, I grew up with anger. So I've had to learn how to go. You know, I literally not exaggerating that first five years, I was going to a counselor every single, like we were going a lot. I was going a lot because I knew I didn't have any skills to bring to this marriage yet. I didn't know how to be in a coveted relationship where you loved and honored and respected each other. I knew I wanted it, but I had no clue how to get it. So I started going to counseling and I went like religiously. And one of the things that she said to me is, and it was, made me feel so stupid. I felt like I was putting my balls in her purse. It just, it was hard for me. I would have to stop and I would say, can I please have a redo? And she was like, yes, you may, Shane. And I'd be like, what I meant to say was, I don't like it when you do that. <laughs> and I'd have to like go for a walk and come back because I, my response was like, no, let me get loud so you can hear me. But I didn't mean it to be rude. I just meant it because that's what I was taught. So I had to break that in me. And, you know, still to this day, my, I want to defend. I want to be, I want to puff up. I want to be strong. I want to, you know, rule over. And, you know, I'm able to catch those attributes inside of me a little bit better. And I, I, you know, I got 40, 43 years of, you know, practicing, you know, controlling some of those extreme emotions and learning how to be feeling the pain and going, okay, what, what am I feeling here? How is she feeling? And being able to give enough time for me not to over respond. If that makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's yeah. tie it in. So how in the world did you get to investing? Was it just because your wife was in real estate? What, what was the yeah, shipyard, right? The shipyard, you started doing mortgages, but what led you to those mortgages? My mom and my sister and my aunt were doing beyond mortgage. That's what they called it. And I was like, I think I could do this. I have a gift of gab and I can get people to say yes now. And then I'd come and be like, what's a VA? I don't know. And then they'd be like, okay, that's how you do that. And I would learn. And then back then we had what's called AEs, these banks, that, these people that represented banks. Account executives. Mm -hmm. Yep. They just do all the work, all of it. I'd just be like, I got a V to the A. And they'd be like, oh, let me show you how to do that. And they'd pull up their computer and they'd be like, you know, I need this, this, and this. And then they'd come back and they, I mean, they would literally do it all for me. And I would wow. learn and sit next to them. And, that's how I kind of started figuring out how to do loans. And then after a while, I started realizing that, um, you know, I, I'm sitting with people watching, you know, I helped them five years ago and I'm watching the real estate being worth two times as much. And I'm watching the revenue and I'm coaching and counseling and I'm learning math. And all of a sudden I'm 
I realized I just knew what I was doing. And I became very, very interested in evergreen money. Yeah. Learning yeah. how to invest time today. I wanted to be a, a really good farmer. You know, I'm not afraid of the hard work. I'm not afraid of the mornings. I'm not afraid of the responsibility. I like calluses. I actually feel cool when I get sunburned and I, my muscles are sore. I like it. I just wanted to make sure that I was farming well because I wouldn't want to farm all day long and have no crop. Yeah. I wouldn't want to ruin my harvest. So I just kind of, kind of got a little bit more. I recognized that making money was not enough. I needed to learn how to multiply it. Yeah. And I needed to learn how to get it to work for me. And I started reading the, the purple books and started just kind of researching and looking for answers that would lead to that. And I don't have it figured out. In fact, I have another deal right now that would make the first deal look crappy. I have another deal that I messed that I'm, that I'm rates are killing me. You know, I, I did everything right, but now my NOI is way worse than it was. And yeah. so now I'm going to have to leave a bunch of money in there and probably write a check. And you know, I was going to make 15 grand a month on this little investment. Now I'm going to make like three, which means, you know, you have a couple of vacancies in your sideways. Right. But what I'm learning is there's seasons, right? So you like, I have, I have, debt from yesterday and I have investments from yesterday and different things and they all kind of work together as a big ecosystem. And my goal is to get to that, that, um, economy of scale where, you know, the parts protect the whole. Yeah. So you're doing mortgage, you're, you're pursuing farming, you're building the cadre concept, you're moving forward you're obviously such a heartfelt guy and you're moved by people's emotions, which I'm guessing allows you to easily align with purpose. So can you tell me like the cadre concept, helping people, the farming, like what's the thing that ties those together purposefully? Well, I think anything worth doing is worth doing with as many people as possible. I think a lot of people get caught up in what can I do? And yes, you should bring your A game to the, to the, to the equation, but you know, you'll never lift it up if you don't have the other people on the other side of the table, you know, you need, you need the, the people and people we're, we're hard on each other. I mean, we really are hard on each other. Um, and the world has become so polarized in so many ways that if you just take a vested interest in other people, you can't lose because you stick out so much because people just don't know how to do that anymore. Um, and I was I was given it. I, you know, I was a guy that, uh, went through a lot of stuff, but still had a kind heart. You know, I was, I was easily manipulated because of my emotions and, and I took things more serious and was, had my feelings hurt more often than other people because of my emotions. So I had to learn how to have emotional intelligence. I had a coach that said, he's like, young man, he's like, if you could fucking get a hold of your emotions, you could do anything. And I was like, and he was this very, very, very successful man. And every since then I've tried to figure out how to get a hold of those emotions, you know, get up, understand them. Cause you have I'm the gift of them. them. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not the same as you in that point. Like I have insane emotional control, but it's because I'm distanced from my emotion in a way that you're not. And so I don't share that same difficulty, but I also don't share your gift. And yeah, I'm curious, like, what is, what does that journey look like for you in the process of learning how to harness those emotions and yet still, you know, keep the fullness of your gift? Well, I think I can end this in probably one of the best ways that I know how, because we're both, we're all driven towards asset accumulation in pursuit of wealth, right? 
Um, so what I learned is my gift is, is that my hands got to stay busy. You know, when you, I have all this emotion and this passion, I got to give it purpose. And I got to, I got to have something to do with it. You know, in my other days when I was idle, I didn't do good things with my hands. You know, I threw my hands, you know, I, I, someone would offend me and my brain would think that I need to defend myself by using my hands. And so I just became very clear that I was not allowed to not have purpose. I just had to be busy all the time. So people always make fun of me that I'm the guy that does, you know, because I own a lot of companies. I just did a big talk just before this where I was speaking on a panel and the announcer goes, you know, hey, tell, you know, there's four of us and it's having each person go. And he goes, okay, Shane, what do you, I want to ask you what you do, but I don't think I understand what you do. Like, that's how he sets it up. And I'm like, I'm an investor. I, I invest in the homes. I invest in the people. I invest in the businesses. I'm, an, I'm a multiplier. That's what I do. I like to think that I do that through real estate, but this is, and that's the best I've learned how to say what I do because I have to be so busy. You know, my son, he's so um, like his father that when I want to talk with him, we have to go for walks because he can't stand still and have a conversation. And the other day I was like, would you stop circling the damn room? Cause he's telling me about his school and he's doing this. And I'm like, stand still. And my wife hits me and she goes, Hey, he's talking. <laughs> like this is how he processes. And I'm like, you're right. He is. So I'm the same way. So I just stay busy. I just keep my hands busy in real estate, man, that's hard work. There's lots of great things to do. And there's lots of ways, you know, you always need to, you know, I think Jesus was a carpenter because he took the most skill and the most people to build a house, you know, the plumbers and electricians. I mean, it takes many, many people to make something, you know, it takes a tribe to make light work. So why I, why cadre became so important to me is when I was in the military, I had this really cool moment and I didn't know it at the time, but it's come back to me in a way that, you know, I always, I don't know if you guys are like this, but because of my passion, I always wanted to be the person that took the last shot. I always wanted to be the star of the team. Problem was I was never, never the person that should take the shot. I hear you brother on that one. <laughs> me too. I never was. <laughs> I always wanted to be, but I just never was. <laughs> And I still don't know if I found my spot where I'm the guy that takes the shot. You know, mm. I don't know for sure. But I've learned that I'm, I have a gut about me and I can make decisions that are hard. And people tend to follow that. They tend to follow a guy who can make it, put his foot down and say, we're going this way. Wow. Um, but when I was in the military, I was a uh, head equipment mechanic. So I'm working on things. And I, what would happen is these Humvees would come in and these deuce and a half and these, these military operation vehicles would come in. And the guys that were on the special ops teams weren't allowed to leave the vehicles because the vehicles were fully up armored. They had all their guns and stuff and ammo, and they weren't allowed, you know, they were sitting there with their gun while I'm turning the wrench and draining the oil, you know. And in that happened for like 12 months when I was in the Middle East where I got to see these guys come and go, and I started to learn their ethos. And their ethos was that they were highly skilled individually. So what would happen is they would, they would join and they would go to a basic training like all of us did. But then when they were done with their basic training, they would go to special skills training. And this guy, he, you know, he shot the long rifle and this guy shot the short rifle and this guy was a navigator and this guy was the, they had these different roles and they would go to their respective schools. They'd get trained up and then they'd come together, highly skilled in their specific space and they would become a unit and they would train together and they would do initiatives together and they would bring their skills together and they would learn how to have a brotherhood. And, and you know, and then they would get, once they had that glue, that brotherhood, then they would go, they were isolated. They weren't allowed to sleep with other people, weren't allowed to eat with other people. They were, they were 
meant they were highly skilled people with a common mission and purpose. And then they had to learn how to become a team. And then they would fly to the Middle East where I was and they would go to war, but they'd stop off and I would tune them up and make sure everything was working and give them a last look over before they went forward. And I got to see this again and again. And what I realized is I want to be like those guys, <laughs> but I don't know if I want to do what they do. I don't know if I want to go to that training and dropped off in the middle of the woods and be shot at, but I, I want to feel like a part of something like that. Um, I tried and, you know, I think it was God's grace in that. I just never, they never picked me. I never could, you know, I never could get across the line and join the team. But when I came back, I always had a hero concept about me where I wanted to kind of figure out how to be part of a highly skilled group of people that were you know, working for a common mission and purpose as a team to, to, to get to a result. And that's how Cadre was formed is I wanted to shine myself with the best of the best and do it and, and help them reach their goals so I can reach mine because I felt like together we could do it. And so I, I gamified it. I gamified it. And I started learning how to find something that was big enough that I needed help and then find skilled people to join in and help me. And then when I realized that the win was is if everybody can win, we could do it again and again and again. And now I believe that if I can just keep being a deal maker and keep opening the door for other people to come in and bring their skill. I'll always have people to surround me. I'll never be lonely because I'll always have people. I'll have a mission. My hands will always be busy. You know, I'll, 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 I'll have something to do. Am I always profitable? No, I've lost a couple of times, but I win more than I lose because I'm willing to play aggressively. I'm willing to stay the course and I don't measure wins and losses in the same way other people do. I've learned it to train. Like you can lose, you can still win the mission by, and lose opponent component of it. Yeah, you might lose the battle, but you're not losing the war. Right. Wow. And, and when I was in the military, I would see that. Yeah. I would see, you know, blood on the on the, the thing. You know, we'd win the war, but we lost a man. We lost, you know, there, there was there was this this, story, this thing we're in. This story, it's not. Um, it ends badly in a lot of ways, but your attitude and your effort are your, you know, they're yours. This is real estate. That's my attitude, my effort a lot. It tests me. It makes me a better man. It makes me vulnerable and it puts me in unique spaces where I got to be creative. It forces me to ask for help and forces me to solve problems and be creative. Does that make sense? Totally. So what I'd like to do now is ask if people want to know more about the cadre concept, if they want to know how to connect with you, either on a deal that you're doing or t to get trained in that concept or to buy that concept, depending on what you're doing with it, what would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? Um, I think you can just go to contractconcept.com cool. and you know, you can read up and check it out, but then a pop-up will pop up and say, you know, sign up here to learn the 10 steps to crushing it in 10, in 10 simple steps. Those steps are what I think are the irreducible minimums. And I, I really, they really do work. Um, I could give you some really cool stories, but, I have a proven framework in there. If you're a person who needs a playbook, I have, there's one in, inside of that membership if you want to be part of it. Wow. Amazing. Shane, thank you so much for sharing your life, your stories, your business, like not expecting this today. And I am just, I feel so blessed to, to, to share that window. Like, I mean, it takes me back. I was a youth pastor for, for a number of years, you know, after my math teaching days and, this today reminds me of those days. And those are like some of the most, you know, I just, you feel purpose, you know, getting down to the bottom of things. So I just feel like 
hearing you, Tim, you talk about it, hearing you guys, seeing the resolves that you made in these difficult junctures of your life to see that not only have you relationally healed in so many ways, relationship to your wife, relationship to your kids, you broke the cycle, you're loving on people, you're financially solid, you're growing. I mean, it's just like, goodness gracious, like it's just such an inspiration. So I just can't thank you enough for, for coming on, for being vulnerable and for what for what you allowed me to experience in this, this last little bit over an hour. But, you know, I appreciate you, man. And so for, for all those listening, you know, freedom is acquired one action at a time. So we encourage you, if you've listened to this episode, take note. I mean, maybe you, you share a struggle with what was mentioned here or you want to get to the place where he's, you're doing $2 million deal, whatever it is. Take notes, write down one action, ask somebody to hold you accountable, do it in the next seven days, and because freedom is only one action away. It's, it's acquired one action at a time. So so take action, and pretty soon you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.